0: Welcome to this, the third episode of MO Forum. This is a dedicated forum, dedicated in fact to the issue of education. And we haven't had such a big response uh, as the one that we have had in relation to uh, people viewing on Facebook, the uh, sets of questions that people are asking, their interest in it has been very high, and in the interest on Twitter. As well, So it indicates that um, this is an area of policy where people really want to see the right thing done and I'll seek to address the question of what is the right approach to education at the three levels, uh, at school level, at the training level and at the university level. I'm not an expert in early childhood education, I've done some work in that area but I won't profess to have done as much. Uh, as I have in the other three areas. We ask uh, why education is important. Uh, I've been fond of saying that education is the key that unlocks two doors, uh, one leading to a prosperous economy and the other leading to a fairer society. Uh, The debate about education in Australia has often been quite acrimonious and I believe that it highlights a fundamental philosophic difference between the progressive side of politics and the conservative side. Uh, Maybe a little unfair to the conservative side, but it seems to me from the discussions and parliamentary debates that have occurred that they tend to think that um, there is a natural order of things uh, and that those people who get a good education deserve to and those people who don't do so well much more than often than not, have only themselves to blame. And there are people who actually argue that people who don't do well at school aren't cut out uh, to do well at school, that they lack the intelligence. And in fact, uh, Adam Crichton, who's an economic contributor to the Australian newspaper, talks about what he considers to be the uh, immutable, if unfair, distribution of intelligence. This goes to the heart of the debate. Are some people less intelligent than others? Are young people born less intelligent than others? My contention is that they aren't born with such um, genetic disadvantages as those who have a more elitist approach to education like to believe. In fact, I think it's quite insulting uh, that we do have people who argue that uh, kids from disadvantaged backgrounds who don't do well are probably just not cut out for school or for university. That's the sort of argument that is going on right now. Uh, This argument has been in fact going on for 30 or more years. When I was a backbencher, the coalition in government was saying, well, why are we going to have all these people going to university, who's going to do all the tradesmen's jobs? Well of course we do need tradesmen and tradeswomen uh, and lots of them but you don't find very often that the uh, parents who themselves have been to university aspire for their children to be um, to be people who do carpentry, who um, do the lawns, who clean out the gutters, who do the ironing Uh, for people who are uh, up the income scale, what they tend to believe is that as very educated parents, that their children should have a good university education too. And it's for the others, the others who aren't cut out for uh, all of this academic stuff to do the ironing and clean out the gutters and mow the lawns. I think that's an abhorrent philosophy, but it's alive and well here in Australia. Let's go to some of the evidence uh, of the benefits of education. Andrew Lee, who is a very much an up-and-coming uh, member of the Federal Parliamentary Labor Party, and I do hope he gets a good shadow ministerial position, uh, has done a lot of work in this area, extremely rigorous work, and his analysis shows that there are very substantial gains for kids just staying on from year 11 to year 12. Even if they don't succeed in doing that extra year, just the discipline and almost the osmosis of being at school uh, and picking up some extra knowledge is valuable in fact he's estimated the extra value to their lifetime earnings and it's at least 10 percent it's very substantial just from staying on at school which helps dismiss this elitist argument that if kids aren't good at school they should get out of the place Uh, i think they should stay i think they should stay and be encouraged to stay and finish year 12 and do as well as they possibly can what are the indicators of a successful school? Well they tend to be a very good school principal, uh, the quality of the teachers and of course the attitudes of the parents. If the parents are encouraging their kids at home and giving them good learning space and are able to do that then the kids tend to do better. But let's not dismiss again Those family homes where there could be overcrowding, where there could be domestic violence, are we to punish those young people because their home is not conducive to study, that their parents have had bad experiences at school and therefore are very nervous and unwilling uh, to go on to the school grounds? Should we consign them to some sort of scrap heap or in the natural order of things to do the ironing and cleaning out the gutters and do the lawn mowing? I say no. I say no. So in terms of uh, what makes for a good school, high quality principal, quality teachers and of course a good home environment wherever that can be provided. That's all of the evidence Uh, and under the school funding program that was being developed under the so-called Gonski reforms, we need to recognise that there is a residualisation of kids with disadvantages more in the state school system because non-government schools can pick and choose, government schools can't and shouldn't pick and choose. But under this funding model, there'll be extra funding according to five criteria. That is uh, low socioeconomic status, kids from a non-English speaking background, uh, kids uh, who are Indigenous kids, Um, Then, of course, there are kids with disabilities and also kids in remote schools. So those five criteria are used under this model to ensure that those kids attract more funding. And um, that's a good thing because it means that, sure, the state school system would get more funding, but you've seen the non-government school system sign up to this. Uh, in most parts of it, in fact, all of Australia in terms of those systems, um, the non-government school system, the Catholics and the independents, uh, they've signed up to these reforms. Now, during the election campaign, Mr Abbott, having criticised heavily these reforms, and Christopher Pine describing the existing system as perfectly good, did a welcome backflip, and they've actually said that they would commit the same funding that the previous Labor government had committed over the next four years, but not beyond that. And so what we need to do is get this system up and running. It will be very, very popular, and that's why Mr Abbott did commit to it. That's a good thing for Australia. Uh, It will be popular, and I think it will be so popular that it would be very, very hard for a coalition government or any future government to start unwinding this. So that's essentially what's going on in the school system. In our training system we actually have one of the best training systems in the world and again Andrew Lee's work shows that particularly for young people doing certificate three and four courses uh, they too get a boost in income over their lifetimes which is very very substantial. My own view is that our vocational education system is of high quality within our Asia Pacific region. And just like our universities are reaching out to young people from overseas and having them study in Australia, wouldn't it be marvelous if our vocational education providers could do that? I think that's the next phase for our vocational education providers, including our TAFEs, but they would need the permission of state governments and the accreditation, I suspect, of the Commonwealth. And then there's the university system. Again, we've got a pretty good university system, but it can be better. Uh, In the White Paper on Australia in the Asian Century, we aim high for our universities, uh, and I think that they can and are responding. One of our, our, I think our fourth biggest export, and it's called an export, is the income from kids coming from overseas and studying in our universities. But what sort of student should our universities produce and what sort of experience should our young people really want out of our universities? Again, there is a divide here. On the one hand you've got people who believe that universities should really be like uh, technical colleges, that they should teach people facts and calculus and calculations, uh, but not to really um, spend much time in creative thinking or indeed in teaching young people how to learn. They just concentrate on the idea that when you come out of university, you should be job ready, go into a job, and start work on building a dam or a high-rise development. That's one approach. The other approach, which I favour, is that we use our universities to encourage creative thinking and encourage uh, people to learn how to uh, learn after they leave university. Uh, one of the defining features of the most successful societies on Earth is that creativity, that spontaneity, the ideas that come from people sitting around and talking about uh, ideas and arguing about them. And here I'll go into bat for the humanities. Again, you've got people from this other philosophic, uh, philosophic position saying it's just a waste of time and money, people doing arts and all the other humanities. Where's the jobs coming out of that? Well, there are jobs coming out of that. And again, Andrew Lee shows that uh, young people who do arts do have higher incomes over their lifetimes. But is that it, the be-all and end-all, that they just have to have a higher income? Isn't our society richer in terms of diversity than just the dollars that are earned from these sorts of degrees? Why should we look down on the humanities when it's often the humanities that are at the forefront of changing our uh, society and our civilisation for the better? So here's to the humanities, of course. Medicine and engineering and all of those other degrees are extremely important. Now, I think what I've tried to do Uh, through this introduction is to set out the two philosophies. One's very practical, the other's a little bit more creative. One's very much with a view that young people are either cut out uh, to have a, a good education or they're not. And the other view says they're all young people who are born with talents and it is the role of our schools and our universities to nurture those talents and bring out the very best in those young people. That's the camp in which I'm firmly committed. Now what I'd like to do with the rest of the time is respond to some of the questions that have been asked and thank again for the very large number of questions I won't be able to get through them because you'll get sick of this podcast and tune out Uh, so I'll do as many as I can and we'll do it in the same grouping schools uh, vocational education and then universities so I'm asked um or this point is put to me, good principles and teachers should be greatly rewarded and bad principals and teachers retrained or fired. Please discuss. Well, indeed, um, rewarding the best teachers and principals is very important. I've always believed that, and the previous Labor government was working with the states through national partnership agreements to do exactly that. For example, in New South Wales, uh, Barry O'Farrell announced that there would be greater principal autonomy uh, and rewards for teachers. He said this is a great, uh, uh, great state idea. Actually, it was a federal idea, but good on you, Barry, because we think that that Uh, is very, very important to give those teachers and the principals the incentives. In terms of uh, teachers who aren't so good, yes, I agree that there should be proper uh, training or retraining for them. Uh, We can't have a situation where kids are subjected over periods of time to uh, bad or indifferent teachers. But I have to say this. I'm a strong supporter of the teaching profession in Australia. I believe that principals and teachers are underpaid and are undervalued and it's not the same as in some other uh, communities. For example, in Korea it's said that a teacher can go to a hotel and drop the car keys and people uh, from concierge will go and look after them because they are revered. We should be revering our teachers and our principals right here in Australia. Uh, then I'm asked, in my opinion, uh, who do you think has more responsibility in education effectiveness, teachers or parents? And In a way, I address this. Um, the uh, home environment's really important. Uh, we know that, but we can't dictate it, and nor should we. What we should do is support parents who themselves may not have had the educational opportunities that they aspire for their young uh, children. Uh, indeed, there'll be some parents who don't aspire uh, or aim very high for their uh, children because they have come to believe that they aren't cut out for it. Well, again, let's say to parents that your children are as bright and as intelligent and as deserving as the children of any other community, no matter how rich or poor. So let's support the parents themselves and there are models where we get the parents going on to the school grounds. These are very nervous parents who've had um, bad experiences at school but if there are good things going on in the school campuses then they can go on and share those experiences with their young people and then encourage them at home. But, of course, teachers are fundamental to this, and we all agree, I think, that um, the best teachers uh, do give kids a very good chance. I'm asked, do do you agree that all schools should be equally good where parents could pick a school for their children blindfolded? That is the ultimate dream. That is the ultimate dream. Uh, Julia Gillard, when she's Prime Minister, said uh, through these uh, big education reforms, I want every school to be a great school every school to be a great school. And that is the progressive philosophy, not a hierarchy of schools, but surely uh, one of the most basic rights of every young person is a right to a good education. And we all need to come in and fund that properly so that they do have it. Uh, Some people say to me, uh, extra funding without reform doesn't help. Well, that may be true, but I can tell you, reform with no extra funding is no reform at all. I'm then asked, uh, why are principals in public schools virtually unable to exercise control over teaching staff to improve quality? Well, again, there are models through these national partnership agreements, which do give principals a lot more autonomy. I think that's uh, a developing trend. Parents want it, Uh, and the children deserve it. So let's hope that the work that had been going on with the states through these national partnership agreements is continued by this government. I think it will be. I'm asked... uh What do you think of a weighting system applied to disadvantaged students in schools? That's exactly what we're talking about. That is the so-called Gonski reforms, the Better Schools Plan, with the five different weightings reflecting five different measures of disadvantage. So the schools that have got the most disadvantaged kids attract the most money. That's how it should be. I wrote about this in 2006 in my book, Vital Signs, Vibrant Society. Maybe, in my own way, I anticipated the Gonski reforms, but that's exactly what I set out uh, for a school system, not just the state school system, but right across the schooling system, government and non-government, and that is what the Gonski reforms are all about. So let's lend our support to those reforms. I'm asked, uh, why are there such large funding equities in our school system Uh, Shouldn't we have Gonski? Yes, we should have these reforms. Uh, It's um, it's said to me. It's sad when children feel disengaged and take the opportunity to go uh, to school for granted. What are your thoughts? Well, it is. There is some responsibility on the kids too, but fundamentally, we need to make school an an interesting and attractive environment. And I think with the sorts of reforms that we are talking about, we can. Again, this is up. To very, uh, at at its very basic level, the quality of the teachers. Teachers who understand what makes uh, kids click, and I know that I was in fact involved uh, as a backbencher in a uh, House of Representatives education inquiry into education for boys. And there does seem to be some evidence that boys, when they leave uh, primary school, where they've got more individualised attention from, Uh, teachers, because they have maybe only one teacher, and go into secondary school where there are many teachers, there is a bit of a break there, and boys in those early years of secondary school, according to the work we did, actually... Um, don't do as well as girls. So look, I'm not normally one who seeks to highlight the difference between boys and girls but whatever it is, whatever it is, we need to ensure that the school environment and the the teaching methods are attractive and interesting to young people and I've seen some marvellous examples of that. Going on to uh, our TAFE system vocational education, why is TAFE always overlooked? We aim to be a smart nation, but funding for skills training is slashed. Um, Not all want to or can go to university. It's true that state governments uh, withdrew quite a bit of money uh, from the TAFE system. That's obviously going in the wrong direction in the 21st century. Uh, I think TAFE is extremely valuable in its own right for producing not only these trade skills, but... um, Uh, in areas such as um, childcare and aged care, TAFE can be very, very important there. There's another role for TAFE too, and I will use this as a bridge to go on to talk about universities, and that is, for example, at the Logan campus of Griffith uh, University, uh, it works with the local TAFE where those young people who didn't get the tertiary entrance scores that would allow them into university and need some extra um, support can do these bridging courses. And it'll be about base, basic um, grammar, English, uh, about basic maths and so on. And uh, that then allows them into the universities. I think this is the way of the future. These bridging courses are going to be so valuable. And a suggestion that was put to me uh, recently is that these TAFE courses, I think they actually call them sub-bachelor Um, courses which can be run in TAFEs or universities maybe we could uncap the availability of those rather than having that highly restricted and that will be a big boost uh, in terms of getting uh, kids who didn't do so well at school quite often because of very difficult family backgrounds into university if they want to. So TAFEs Uh, producing good Certificate 3 and Certificate 4 qualifications in their own right. Big tick for that, but also the idea of them facilitating a second pathway into university for those young people who didn't do as well at school but would like to go on to university. That's the way of the future, in my view. Um, I'm asked... uh, is anyone in power looking at matching facilities to new pedagogies? I'm seeing educators being restricted by bad design. Well, you know, this is a a huge issue, but I hope at least in some way through uh, building the education revolution, the previous government did upgrade facilities, but perhaps. Uh, not exactly what the questioner has in mind here. These would probably be more specialised facilities to reflect new technologies and new ways of teaching. Of course, we need to do more in that area. I know that um, electronic uh, whiteboards, we call them, are now used a lot uh, in the schools in the area that I used to represent in Logan City. That's probably one way of getting extra interest there. But, you know, this applies... In universities too, and we'll get on to this, online universities or online courses, what sort of physical infrastructure and presence do we need compared uh, with young people being able to be at home and studying from home. That obviously is going to be a huge issue in the 21st century. I'm asked, do you think opening campuses like Griffith at University, has at Logan is the best way to encourage disadvantages to go to uni. Yes, I do. I'm sure no one's surprised at me giving that answer. But I can also say this, that the location of universities in areas where the disadvantaged young people live has proven to be very, very successful in Australia. I'm reminded of La Trobe University being set up um, some decades ago in the suburbs in Melbourne, And we had people like David Morgan, uh, Ted Evans, um, Ahmet uh, Fahour, people who uh, all were the first in their families to go to university had gone to La Trobe University. And isn't that fantastic? But have a look what's going on, for example, with the University of Western Sydney, where it's got campuses right through Western Sydney And again, I've been out to some of their facilities and you've got young people who are going to that that university and doing very well and performing very well when benchmarked against the Sandstone universities. This is all about opening the gates of our universities to disadvantaged people. This is not only a social justice issue, it means that those young people will be more productive over their lives, have higher incomes and uh, arguably will have a more rewarding life. So these are great endeavours by our regional universities uh, and by our uh, suburban universities and more strength to their arm. May the force be with them. Uh, I'm asked um, uh, this question or it's put, as a proposition, I despair a trend to fund vocational uni courses at the expense of general arts and pure science. We need people who can think broadly. Alleluia. Uh, I think that uh, summarises very much what I've had to say here so far in MO Forum. The idea that universities should produce technically equipped people, but not people who are creative, uh, who are going to be at the frontiers of the next new set of ideas, I think it's a dangerous idea. I I think that is a dangerous proposition, but we are getting it more and more from the conservative side of thinking in Australia. To sum up, the conservative side argues that some kids, quite a lot of them, are just not cut out for university, that they are not as intelligent as the others the kids of the parents who themselves have been to university. But when you think of it, the parents themselves are often the motivators of the kids going to university. If they've got a degree each, their children almost certainly will go to university. Now, I don't see that as the natural order of things. I don't see that as a matter of innate intelligence, some sort of genetic uh, superiority. I see that as being the way our society has been structured for a very long time. There is a better way, and the better way is to make sure that every young person, every young person in this country has the opportunity of a quality education. That's the difference between progressive thinking and conservative thinking, and I hope I've persuaded you to stay in the progressive side, or if you are conservative, to come over to our side and recognise the qualities in our young people and that the future of this nation will be determined by the creative talent of those young people. Thank you for tuning in to MO Forum.